just one of kings Better than nine and ring That's why we're here to sing Football Sunday in the snow With a breeze whistle blows We've been warriors toe to toe Football 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 Yes, people, welcome along to another North London 40. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inye Benigo. Inye. We're, of course, referring to the Baltimore Ravens. The champ is here. They are the winners of Super Bowl 47. The champ is here. 34-31 against the San Francisco 49ers. We have a winner. Finally. After all these weeks, after all these playoff games, after this unbelievable season, preseason, the draft and everything. We have a winner. What a Super Bowl it was. Best in recent history. Definitely. Also the longest in recent history. It was a whopping four hours and 14 minutes long due to what can only be described as an unexpected power cut last night in the... One, two, one, two. I don't know what happened there. Oh, oh, Beyonce, where are you? Oh, oh, no, we're, we're back. back. We're back. We're back. Yeah. See, it Woo. could happen to anyone. Yep. Unexpected power outage, power surge, and we all saw these football pundits we low and love on TV fluffing their lines, talking about power surges and currents and... Um, Scrambling around. you think they'd have a little bit more chat in them. They've had two weeks to prepare for this game, and all they could do was just look behind them and be like, the, the lights are coming on, they're coming back. It was a bizarre circumstance. Three in the morning or whenever it was, we had a 34-minute outage mm. on the Super Bowl. And not a lot happened, apart from extending the game. But that was just part of it. Part of an absolutely incredible game. An incredible spectacle. A season like this deserved a game like that. It was looking like it was going to be a blowout for a while. The outage happened. Things changed. We'll talk about the game in a bit. Yeah. But first of all... For the last time in the 2012 and 2013 season, some housekeeping. North London 40 on the Twitter, at NLDN40. Hit us up on the Twitter. Some brilliant, brilliant tweets we've been having over the last couple of days, especially you expect that over Super Bowl. It's been great. NorthLondon40.tumblr.com. Lots of Tumblr action. Uh, we're going to keep doing that throughout the off-season. Correct. Mixcloud.com forward slash NLDN40. Stream us on there. iTunes, best way to get this podcast. Subscribe to iTunes and check out North London 40 on iTunes. You will get that on there also. Let's talk about the game. The big kahuna. So let's talk about the game. It fitted the end of what has been an unbelievable season. The Ravens were victorious. 34 points to the San Francisco 49ers. 31 at one point, it was looking like an absolute rout. I honestly thought that Coco was going to empty in its droves. The Ravens were winning 28 points to 6 just after halftime. Before, pre-mentioned outage. Yes. Things changed. Got very, very close. We got a two-point game with 10 minutes to go. Turned into a 34-31 victory for the Ravens. So... Let's talk about the game. We have to, and I'm sure all of you have been surrounded by tons and tons of media coverage looking at what happened and why it happened, but let's let's talk about it. The Ravens started hot. 49ers weren't playing particularly badly. A couple of big plays cost them. The flag on the third down that came back. Anquan Bolden scored the touchdown. No one, as we keep saying, has been more pl- money in these playoffs than Anquan Bolden collectively, and he was mustered last night. More about him in a bit for the touchdown. The interception by Kaepernick, by Ed Reed, who had his best game in the playoffs last night, was a big factor. But you kind of went into half time with this game. Cap had played okay. 
the Niners had played okay, but they were facing a huge deficit. Why was that? I, I get really annoyed when commentators say trite things about the Super Bowl. It's all about, you know, the margins of error. It's, you've got to have big players making big plays. And I think that's, that's really what happened in this first half. You're right. The 49ers weren't particularly bad. They were, they were okay. They just weren't able to punch through and get the touchdowns. The Ravens were. Flacco was really, really good yesterday to the point that I think they should, if you were a Flacco hater, you should go put your head in the sand because that was a performance of the ages. The wide receivers were stepping up. Jacoby Jones was amazing. I really think that this Ravens team, who we didn't think have a lot of offensive weapons, showed that the players that they have can be offensive weapons. So going into half time, the Niners had only put two field goals up on the board. Jacoby Jones, as Eli mentioned, 56 yard touchdown reception from Joe Flacco just before half time, which was a killer blow. The 49ers secondary in this game. Can I say dreadful? Can I say that? I wouldn't say that they were dreadful. I, I would, that they just weren't very good. They've been a liability. <laughs> they've been a liability. They've been a liability all postseason. But not to the extent that we expected. Everyone was saying that in the first half they expected Flacco to throw the ball deep six times. And in reality, I think he only did it three times. They weren't necessarily getting blown away by big players apart from that Jacoby Jones one. They just were not good enough to handle the incredibly physical Ravens wide receivers. Was Culliver suffering from the media day gaff curse? Probably. I think it didn't help himself that he accidentally, I will say on his part, made himself a target. I think he probably could have coasted through without without that gaff, and we wouldn't have been looking to him to maybe have a, as good as a game if, if that hadn't have happened. Him and Dante Whitner were both pretty shocking in that first half. Joe Flacco, three touchdown passes, playing at an elite level, and let's just remind everyone, as if they weren't reminded enough last night anyway, the biggest deficit that a team has come back from to ever win a Super Bowl is 10 points. Yeah. It was the Washington Redskins when they went 10 points down to the Denver Broncos way back in the Jurassic ages. So it was all looking pretty locked down for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Cap just hadn't seen the ball. The Ravens looked good. They were driving. Then halftime came along. Let's talk about halftime. Top three Super Bowl halftime ever last night by Beyonce? Easily. Prince 1A and I put Beyonce 1B. I don't disagree with that. I think the Michael Jackson back in 93 still has to stand on the Mount Sinai of Super Bowl halftime celebrations. And also the fact that that then redefined our perception of Super Bowl halftime celebrations. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that we we were going through this this past week was looking at old Super Bowl halftime performances and I of course being a little bit younger did not get to experience some of the 80s and early 90s halftime performances but they seemed to be movie themed which was very peculiar to me they were and if you you don't have to go back that far in time to look at some of the lineups and some of the setups for these halftime shows They're all a bit weird, as you say, movie-themed, Elvis-themed. One was Indiana Jones-themed. Yeah, that was the one with Diana Ross and Barry Manilow. (laughs) So so they were quite odd, but Michael Jackson, and you know, you can look at the MTV explosion and and the way that multimedia and music were connected, kind of heralded the fact that, like, look, okay, performers of a worldwide caliber have to be part of this. Yeah. Right, we can't get away with... No disrespect, no shots fired to Patti LaBelle headlining this. Oof. We can't get away with that, right? We have to go for a global star. And they did go for Beyonce. Mm-hmm. She was incredible. Yes. Why? A few things. If, if any of you missed Beyonce's amazing Glastonbury performance from 2011, there's an amazing... I did. I went home. <laughs> there is a, a, a really good... DVD she released last year, which is her performance at, I think, the Hollywood Bowl. Really, she is an artist that I don't understand how anyone can not like her, 
because it's not just the fact that she has incredibly good songs, but kind of redefines live performances for a pop star in a way that we haven't seen since Michael Jackson, to be honest. I can't imagine... Well, obviously, you wouldn't see a Britney Spears doing that. You wouldn't see a Christina Aguilera. We've seen the Black Eyed Peas. Last year, we saw Madonna, who, you know, probably is one of the most quintessential pop stars of all time. Not good enough, in my opinion. Beyonce had everything down, and she pulled out dance moves that everyone across the world knows. There was a piece on the NFL Network where Warren Sapp interviewed Beyonce back in 2004. And Warren Sapp interviewed her and said, oh, blah, 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 you know, you're doing the national anthem. She said, oh, it's such an honor. And Beyonce goes to him and goes, oh, I'm not going to let you leave until you do the dance. And that was the dance from Crazy in Love. And people forget about this. That was 2004. We are now in 2013. This is a woman that has stamped her mark all across America and all across the world. You're right. I think it's a mixture, and you describe it, of the back catalogue of work, the global hits, throw in a few dance crazes and just that performance at the heart of it. Mm. She brought out Destiny's Child as well. Very Empire Strikes Back, I thought. <laughs> Coming through the floor. Someone said like a toaster. which is like, Or like a toaster, <laughs> one of the two. Yeah, exactly like that. So why did that happen? Look, basically Beyonce was supposed to have a record out. Nobody gets paid for doing the Super Bowl halftime show because yep. she didn't know that. You get paid in exposure. So she didn't have a record out. Record label expected her to have a record out. They quickly cobbled together this Destiny's Child best of love songs thing and released the nuclear track. A little bit rushed with the Destiny's Child inclusion, and they didn't really do much, but it was nice to have them there. It was was great to think that you're the biggest star in the world. You were part of this girl band that your dad basically cooked up in his own home laboratory to bring them back and let them share the stage was, was I thought, an incredible gesture. It was, but, as I said, but as I said, it was because of the love songs having to be re-released. But anyway, brilliant halftime show. Next year, who do we think should do it next year? I know who I think should do it next year. Who do you think should do it next year? Train. I'm kidding, but it probably (laughs) will be Train. Bearing in mind, we realised that Train performed at the London game this year. Train also performed at the Pro Bowl. They are effectively the NFL's house band. So as much as I would want it to be Jay-Z, I think it's going to be Train. You know who I think it could be? He's performed before yes, as part of one of those strange ensembles, but I think he has all the facets that we described earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. Number one, he's a total musical G.O.D. Okay. Performance is incredible. Back catalogue, incredible. Two trains? Please tell me it's future. They can be part of the show. Okay. Sits in that musical trifecta alongside Prince, Michael Jackson, and let's be fair, he's approaching the twilight of his career, Stevie Wonder. Has he not done one yet? He has, as a part of a kind of ensemble thing, but not like a full headline show. This is an interesting point, right? So, we've had the the oldies, and I mean this with all respect in the world. Are they older than me? (laughs) Anyone older than 30 is an oldie to me. Right. Uh, I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. But we've, we've had Prince, we've had Bruce Springsteen, we've had The Who... Does Stevie have tunes that were really going to get it going during the halftime? What are you talking about, man? Of course. Absolute killer anthems. Give me the first three songs Stevie does live on stage. I will do, but first, Mm -hmm. I just looked up when he did perform. So, he performed in 99, the Super Bowl. It was in Miami. He was part of an ensemble piece with Gloria Estefan, who's done a couple of these. Shaka Khan, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, and Kiss. What? Uh, yeah, an ensemble <laughs> piece. YouTube it. You, you can like find it. It's like the worst jambalaya of all time. You can find it, right? But what's going to be his opening three tracks that he will play that will get the crowd amped for the 20 minute performance that he'll be doing? There's so many. Mm-hmm. Higher grounds, as these players go to a higher level of performance. Oh, God, it's going to be one of these conversations, isn't it? So, Duke. Ah, that's a very good tune. They are throwing a ball around called the Duke, so that kind of makes out. That works. The horns, you can imagine yeah. that, coming with that. Another star, 
concludes all the Stevie Wonder concerts these days. Superstition, of course, mm-hmm. gets everyone go. Everyone sports is superstitious yeah. for whatever reason True. or another. I'm throwing it down. I think we've got to make it happen. As our new jobs as Super Bowl halftime commissioners, this will be the first thing we should do. Look, Justin's going to be big in 2013 for sure. He's going to be back. Mm. Two Chains, of course, is going to continue his uh, world domination. So is AKA Frank and and all sorts of other rappers. But, like, you know what? Let's give these people their shine and and have no issue with cameoers joining him as the centerpiece. But Stevie was a part of the performance anyway, kind of. He was part of the big day. Some of you that were using the dark arts to watch your Super Bowl instead of the traditional coverage, and we'll give our view on the coverage now, because we've watched the game on Sky and on BBC now. Mm. We haven't listened to it on radio back yet, but we will do later. I I would like to also take this time to mention that apparently the quality, if you were watching the game on the internet, apparently the dark arts were a better feed than the BBC feed. And also, as we found out at the Super Bash, not... 90 seconds behind yes. the action. Yeah, true. Which is kind of annoying if you're second screening mm-hmm. in a game like this. But anyway, but no, Stevie Wonder was part of the halftime entertainment as such. Why was that? He was involved in quite possibly one of the better Super Bowl ads. He was involved with the Bud Light Superstition ads, and he was in two of them. One of them, which was slightly weird, it was him and the incredibly beautiful Zoe Saldana, and there was a moment where he tilted his glasses down and looked at her, which kind of made me think that he had working eyes, which was a bit confusing. But they were very good, very humorous, and also a very good continuation of the Bud Light ads that had been going on all year in terms of different fans and their superstitions. And I thought that was very smart on their part. He's perfect for the occasion. Very different strategy on the Budweiser side of advertising. And we saw this at the Super Bash. Yes. People were definitely choosing the Budweiser instead of the Bud Light. And we'll talk about Super Bash a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But Budweiser went the more traditional route with the ads. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Clydesdales. Yeah, continuing with the 30 or 40 year tradition of doing Clydesdale ads. Yeah, and the most shared, I read on Mashable this morning, the most shared ad of the Super Bowl. Lots and lots of shared for that. It was kind of like a war horse type story yeah. and people love all that type of stuff. By the way, in case you're thinking, this means nothing to me, mm. you're now in a situation where you were never were in the past where as British people you can watch all of these Super Bowl ads. Yes. Just Google them. They're very easy to find. People doing blogs, people doing reviews, mm. and you could go back and watch a lot of these Super Bowl ads. Yeah. Um, so they were quite fun to watch, but they are part of the occasion. This is this is the thing. A lot of people, a lot of British people, go, "Why, why, do, why should we care about the Super Bowl ads?" I'll tell you why. Because you will see the Super Bowl ads throughout the year on UK TV. You will see the VW. For example, the 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 one of the best examples recently was the the Jetta ad with the little kid dressed up as Darth Vader, and then his dad opening the door when the kid pretended that he opened the door. That was a Super Bowl ad. And you will see that and many other ads for the rest of the year. Quick one to go through it. Worst ad for me it had to be that very non-PC Jamaican (laughs) talking fake Patua. This is no slight on Jimmy Cliff. Mm. Let that man get paid. True. Musical titan. Yeah. And I don't blame the him. They come an amazing, an amazing. Saw him at South by Southwest a couple of times last year. Amazing. Do not slight him, man. Get that money. But white people talking in Jamaican Patua trying to sell VW cars. Ain't into that. True. True. I'd, I'd have to agree. My least favorite for sure. That was just um, fingers on the blackboards. Um, the bar Raffaele with that nerd on GoDaddy. Yeah. Well, I, to be honest, I'm not a fan of any of the GoDaddy ads. And I honestly don't understand. GoDaddy, every year, they always try and do something slightly shocking or whatever. And it's usually some sort of celebrity trying to take, getting them to take off their clothes. They've had Danica Patrick. I think last year they had a, a fake Joan Rivers or whatever. The issue is, I don't understand how it drives traffic to their website. Well, they came out this morning and they said that this year's ad drove as much traffic to their site as any of the last eight. Now, I don't know if that's 
combined or whatever it is. No mm. idea, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, look, it's a product that is quintessentially quite dull. Yeah. That you're trying to make quite interesting, True. less geeky mm-hmm. than what it is around hosting and domain services. So who knows, right? But I think they're a business that have kind of made their bed around sports advertising and have to keep involved with that. An advert that we won't be seeing, I don't think, on British TV screens, unfortunately. But in my opinion, the best ad of Super Bowl, halftime, tied the Montana Stain. That was really, really, really smart, really ingenious. And I really do like it when ad companies go, all right, it's the Super Bowl. We want to try and engage the two fans of each team. And, and that's also a bit like with the Stevie on the Superstitious ads. We don't only not know who Joe Montana is, we also don't get tired as a product. And funnily enough, the Ravens actually win that commercial. Yeah. So maybe there's a bit of a fast forward into the future with that anyway. So that was half time. Start of the second half. Niners come back out. Right, OK, we've got to get into this. We've got to get on the board quickly. Right, Ravens have got the ball first. This won't be a problem. Let's kick to Jacoby Jones. Jacoby Jones set. Then it was taken away from him. He then went on to equal an NFL record, which was held by Jacoby Jones, for a kickoff return for a touchdown 108 yards from the restart. W-O-W. World of Warcraft? Yeah. Let's play a game of that. <laughs> it was the stick of fork in a moment, to be honest. I, I think I turned around to someone and I just said... You turned around to someone and stuck a fork in them. I hate this game. Yeah. It's the Raiders fan in me. I couldn't help myself. I had to have a bit of violence. No, it was it was the moment that you thought, how are they going to come back? Kaepernick's... We've, we've talked about Kaepernick on, Kaepernicking on the show before, but in reality, the real Kaepernicking should be the 49ers coming back from big deficits. Touchdown return, I honestly thought was the dagger in the heart. I thought that was it. It was, and it it, it felt like it was going to play out that way, and it was very strange. Then we got the aforementioned blackout. Mm -hmm. The Method Man and Red Man (laughs) variety, unfortunately, that would have been quite good. Sadly. Blackout, 34 minutes. We've, We've got our ideas on who caused the blackout, and I'm going with a disgruntled New Orleans fan. Why? Because this week, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, was in New Orleans and really, really, really an incredibly disliked man. So much so that there are restaurants refusing to serve him. See, we can't go with the incredibly disliked man when we've got Set Blatter to benchmark him against in this country. We can't say that. There was a USA Today poll saying that 61% of of players are disgruntled with Roger Goodell. Aren't people disgruntled in general? Isn't yeah. that the way? David Cameron's approval rating is 30%, and he's the, he's the Prime Minister of this country. Governor. <laughs> Very true. Okay, so we had the outage, and it was bizarre. We're in the Super Bash, and it wasn't just us. It was everybody. No one yeah. had any coverage. Somehow CBS... Managed to get their coverage back first, which makes sense. Yes. So we've got some punditry from Bill Cower, Dan Marino. Not quite sure how he still made the broadcast. True. After he came we, out. We, we didn't sh- come out this week. Yeah, the <laughs> no, opposite. Yeah. But like he, um, <laughs> it was found out that he had fathered an illegitimate child with a... Is she, was she a CBS employee? Yes. She was. Okay, maybe that's why they did decide to keep it in the family, do literally. You, do you think that... He was doing. He was looking for another CBS production assistant during the blackout. Take advantage of the darkness. Could have been. He could have been wearing Zubaz pants as well. Below <laughs> that, yeah, true. Below, below the very, very incredibly bad CBS jackets that they all had. Mm. I know it's America's oldest network, but not everyone has to dress like it's 1950. Talking of CBS jackets, blazers, rocking them on the sideline. Our man. With the world's best Twitter handle, Solomon Wilcox was rocking his blazer in exemplary fashion. Mm. And what's his Twitter handle for everyone if they want to follow him? At Solomon's Wisdom. Boom. Was Solomon Wilcox taken? I mean, come on. Legend. Legend in the game. Giant in the mental. Niners were down. Um, That was kind of... Everyone's thinking that's the end of that. Everyone's getting cheesed off. Everyone 
at the Super Bash was thinking, right, why didn't I use that 35-minute break to go home and watch the rest of this game? It all changed. We'll talk about Joe Flacco and talk about how his performance ranks in the pantheon of history of this sport. And it really, really does. But maybe we're biased, I'm not really sure. But to see Cap do his thing is excitement of the highest order. And he got his S-H-I-T in action and just started gunning. And the Niners started scoring and scoring quickly. 31-yard touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree. That cut it back to 28-13. Crabtree who high-stepped it into the end zone. He did. We got a stop. Then we got Frank Gore, six-yard touchdown run. Frank Gore started being stepped up and being used. 28-20. to Hashtag playoff fumbler. Ray Rice coughed it up. Ray Rice fumbled. Recovered by the Niners who... Big stop by the Ravens. That was clear. Who then kicked a field goal. 28-23. This all happened within... Nine minutes of action. It was going ham out there. I don't think I've enjoyed sports more than that nine minutes in in quite a long while. It was great. I'm not really a big fan of momentum, especially in American football, a game that is full of timeouts and stoppages and all this sort of thing. I don't think it works as well as it does in other sports. But there was something great to see about the 49ers their defense and their offense playing well at the same time. And also their special teams. Ted Ginn Jr. with a great return. It was. We have to shout out Joe Cohen. On the pod last week, he called Ted Ginn Jr. for a big play. And he stepped up big time. The only time he really touched the ball, apart from the last play of the game. And he was effective. And the Niners were back in the game. Big style. Couple of field goals exchanged. Cap. 15-yard touchdown run. Still 10 minutes to go in the game. Set a Super Bowl record for length of touchdown run on that. At that point, the Niners are down by two points. There's only one team that's going to win this game at this point. Yep. They didn't make the two-pointer. You talk about momentum. That was kind of the start of things not then really going the way of the Niners in the second half. Huge two-pointer, which then had effects on the way that the calls that they made from then onwards. Mm-hmm. And a great play by Ed Reed, though. True. Really, really good play. Missed the opportunity to tie it up. The Ravens drove. Another field goal. Justin Tucker. Oh, we haven't talked about the fake field goal earlier. Oh, yeah. We should talk about the fake field goal, because we forgot about that. So, in the first half, the... Ravens had an opportunity to pile on three points. Yes. And they didn't. They went for a fake field goal. And let's maybe take the opportunity to talk about the the coaching of maybe John Harbaugh. We could talk about Jim in a sec because maybe his biggest decisions come towards the end of the game. Mm. But they had an opportunity to kick a field goal, which would have added another three simple points pretty much going into halftime. Went for the fake field goal. Big call by John Harbaugh. It was fourth and nine yep. in the red zone. The guy looked like he was going to make it easily. Hmm. Patrick Willis, not a normal player, a player of incredible physical ability, broke the play up and he got eight instead of nine. But don't really hate the call. Big gutsy call. Is he doing that because it's against his brother? What do you think? I really agree. We talked about this at the time and this is a move that you only do because you know that next Thanksgiving you're both going to be sitting over the table and you're going to be like, remember that fake field goal that I did to ensure... A blowout victory. I can't see it any other way. We've seen a couple of trickery plays of that sort of nature work early on in the season, but we haven't seen it in the postseason at all. And this is a move you only do to try and rub it in the face of your of your brother. The three points there would have made it harder for the Niners down the stretch, of course, but Niners get the ball back. Four minutes to go. Cap can win the game for the Niners. Looks hot. Frank Gore looks hot. Big run down to the seven-yard line. There's time on the clock. The Niners have timeouts. Four tries to get it in from the seven. Gore's looking unbelievable. He was a real beast in this game. Slow start, but 19 carries, 110 yards, and a TD for Frank Gore. Playing really, really well. Now, something then happened. They got to the seven. 
Four chances to, to get it in. Now, I don't know if they're thinking, how much time do we want to leave them? And how's that coming into our psyche? And, and all of these things. But let's look at it. So, they were 34-29 down. They score a touchdown, which then makes it 35-34. Two-pointer, three-point gap, whatever. How much time are they going to leave Flacco to kind of get it in? We shall see. But they changed things. Cap on the ground was looking great. Gore on the ground was looking great. Four shots from the seven. First play, LaMichael James, kind of like a draw up the middle. LaMichael James hadn't been a factor in this game. I don't understand it. Next play, quick out pass to Crabtree. Doesn't get it. Play on third down, and we spoke about this before, potentially the most crucial play of the whole game. The setup to sweep out of the pistol formation. Don't get it off in time. Harbour calls a timeout to save the five yards. How big was that? Because if we stop it, and we just did, it looks like those guys have daylight. Delaney, Delaney Walker, who had a huge game blocking. Really, really great. It looked like they had space. It looked like they were going to be taking that one in. With an extra second. Massive. It's all about small margins of error, and I think that was another great example. We're kind of forgetting about this. Kaepernick's only starting his 10th game. He hasn't been in charge enough of this team to know the hurry-up offense. He still is huddling with these players all the time. So when they got the ball back and they had four minutes left, you thought that's the perfect amount of time for them. That's enough time for them to get down the field, burn enough time off the clock, and then take the lead. But instead, Frank Gore bust out that amazing run, put them down to the seven-yard line. Yep. And it just wasn't enough. At the end of the day, what they needed was someone that was a little bit more experienced, someone that could take charge a little bit more and and be aware and be prepared. And Kaepernick just hasn't had enough time in that situation. And ultimately, on the last play, he audibles out for a fade route, for Michael Crabtree and it just isn't a good enough throw Crabtree doesn't get enough space it just didn't work out so the play before that was like a hitch out route to Crabtree who was double covered that was incomplete last pass was incomplete Harbour wanted a hold call on it it's touch and go. I don't think any referee is going to give a call that big. Especially it was a very loosely called game or, or game. It was. And on Crabtree had some good moments in this game. He was useful. No doubt. Five receptions, 109 yards in the air and a touchdown. But Gore, Kaepernick had got you down to that point. I just think, look, if you take the time, if you pause it, on the delay of game, which we've just done, or the preventative timeout on delay of game, just pause it when they run it, have a look at how the play shapes out. You've got Cap, who's got to beat one defender. Mm-hmm. Eight times out of ten, he's beating a defender with his speed. And he's got to lay it out, right, from the seven. I think, look, we can ball this thing back to that cost the game and that cost it whatever. But because Jim Harbour has been under the microscope so much for being such an incredible coach... And the decision make, decisions that he's made make such a difference to that team. Why you've got these two weapons. Look, cap, four shots from the seven with his legs. It's just a no-brainer. And you couldn't quite figure it out while it was happening. But I think the Niners right there and then, that's where they lost the game. It was just so great watching the work, the pistol, the read option working in its effects. But then you had that. Then followed by a call from... Jim to take a safety, which he did, and also smartly enough, went in the back of the rule book, found out that he could take a safety, and then also what he did was he got all of his players to hold, and Bill Barnwell made this point well, and you could see it happening at the time, just to hold, because he can't be penalised any more than the safety, Mm. just to take up that little bit more extra time, Um, so when the Niners got the ball back, Again, at halfway, he was never going to take it in from there. They didn't have any, any other plays. And, and that, in effect, was the end of the game. So the John versus Jim, it's going to come up. I mean, John won the game, yep. absolutely, but came down to some coaching decisions that, you know, John got the best out of Jim. And, you know, that's why he has won more playoff games over the last five years than any other coach. The best team won. Welcome to the era of Flacco. We are in the Flacco era. 
the guy is about to get serious dollar dollar bills and you can't dispute it now again we've spoken about this who do you want to watch you want to watch cap you want to watch flacco you have to put that out your mind and look at it and say look this guy's set nfl records for road playoff wins but if you look at his performance in the playoffs and rank it in nfl history his rating is the fourth highest in NFL playoff history, behind titans of the game, Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, Steve Young. Those are some good quarterbacks. Beat the performance of Eli Manning, 2011, Aaron Rodgers, 2010. This guy's been better. The Ravens have never been in a serious deficit throughout these playoffs. Yep. He has just been sensational. 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions from Joe Flacco. Elite, yes. 7 out of 10 on third down. Buck 58 in the air and two touchdowns. Performance of the age and an absolutely bang-on certainty for MVP. A very well-deserved MVP, I might add. There was a moment that we thought that Jacoby Jones could have had an opportunity to get it, but... In reality, it was, it was Flacco's trophy and really, really well-deserved. Interesting that, actually, what it would have taken for Jacoby Jones to be MVP. I guess a couple of really serious doof-ups by Flacco down the stretch. Mm. But, you know, players have won the MVP for less. Desmond yeah. Howard, and no shots fired in his direction, but he won an MVP for a kickoff return and a couple of other stuff. But Jacoby Jones, two enormous touchdowns for the Ravens. He was massive getting over some playoff heartache that he's had in the past with the Texans. So he was massive. He's going to want to get paid in the future. Anquan Bolden will say it again. Look at the playoffs over the four rounds. Take Flacco out of it. Anquan Bolden, no one has been more money than that guy. And he was tremendous in this game. He really was. We talked about how the San Francisco 49ers had... You know, went out there to get wide receivers that can help them get to the next level, and they got to the next level, but in reality, the Ravens had the better wide receivers. Bolden was incredibly strong, incredibly physical, and made the important catches. And right now, I'm, I'm watching the beginning of the game again. We forget that Torrey Smith had some great catches as well. He did. It's all about the evolution of this team, what they've, what they've become. And again, Bill Barnwell wrote a great piece talking about the Ravens this morning and how we define them and how we think about them. In the season, they weren't looking great. Their identity was one thing. The Ray Lewis thing came in, changed a lot of aspects, absolutely sure. It was a defensive team that Flacco had to manage, then Ray Rice's team that he had to manage. Ray Rice... He got them there. Fourth and 29 against San Diego. You could argue they wouldn't be in the playoffs without that win. Yeah. You could got there. But in this playoff run, Ray Rice has not been a factor. He's not been talked about as a game-breaker, game-changer. And at the start of the season, if you were to say Ravens make the big dance, you're sticking that guy's name at the top of the list. He was picked in the top two or three spots in every fantasy draft. Mm-hmm. A real G.O.D., one of the top paid running backs in the NFL. This yeah. guy's getting serious paper. Bernard Pierce stepped up. He got more than half the carries that Ray Rice did, and people were worried when Bernard Pierce went out of the game as well. So he looks a factor. So Rice, not part of it, but the receivers and the tight ends, amazing. Bolden, Torrey Smith, Dennis Pitter scored a touchdown as well. And Flacco. Different team. Mm-hmm. This team could win on the road. It has one on the road. How much do you think the firing of Cam Cameron has to do with all this? Look, you're going to go back to two major points of this Ravens season. Cam Cameron getting yanked. Ray Lewis yanking himself off. Pause. Those are going to be the decisions that change things for this very average team. You thought you knew what type of team this was. Mm-hmm. But this is the interesting part. When you take out factors like Ray Rice, you take out factors like Ed Reed, and look, and Ray Lewis, look, exposed, going head-to-head. He can't cover Vernon Davis at this stage in his career. He can't do it. But go back to pod number one of North London 40. Games and titles are won by quarterbacks. We said that. 
an elite level quarterback performance from Joe Flacco. Take it all away. That's what won the Ravens Super Bowl 47. And that's why he's going to Disneyland. And walking into a new contract and all that type of stuff. So that's it. They won the game. They deserve to win the game. They are the best team because they won it. And that's basically that. We look forwards. Straight away, people are like, what does this mean? People like to talk about dynasties. What's going to happen? All this. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Because obviously when you are successful with a team, people want to be paid. Mm-hmm. Is Ed Reed going to be back next year for the Ravens? No idea. And again, it's a little bit too early for that. True. Flacco will be back. He'll be paid. Ray Lewis, we know he won't be. Who knows? The Niners, let's talk about them quickly. One play away, arguably, from winning the game. You can look at next season now. You can pick favourites, and I'm sure Vegas is already doing that. Yeah. I think the Ravens and the Niners, both are great teams for next year. Yeah. I, I think the we're, we're so used to seeing New England and whoever Peyton Manning's playing for, in this case it would be Denver, being the perennial favourites. And I think right now we're seeing two teams that justifiably should be favourites next year. And I think that what the 49ers do is they trade Alex Smith, they get some decent members of a secondary, and mm-hmm. then maybe that's the jump that they need to win. The give them some good media training. Yeah, give them yeah some good media training. And that's the jump they need to make to, to win the Vince Lombardi trophy. Absolutely. But many, many congrats to the Ravens. If you picked them at the start of the season, I'm sure you got a good price. Lots of Ravens fans in the UK. To one. That was the price I saw someone said. There you go. Lots of Ravens fans in the UK. We see a lot of you on Twitter. Maybe built up from the swell of the last Super Bowl victory in 2002. So congratulations to you. Great ride, great team and a great experience. You should, you should really, really bask in that. It's been brilliant. Let's talk about last night. Yeah. A little bit more detail. So. Let's talk about where we watched it. Let's do it. We were guests of the NFL. Mm-hmm. At the Super Bash in Coco, yep. in North London. A right proper affair, I know. Camden. What's your verdict? I thought it was really good. Really, really good. Been to a few Super Bowls over the Been to a few Super Bashes over the years. I was a Super Bash virgin, so this was my first time. Different types of experiences based on location and goods of service and things of that nature. But, you know, we're not just saying this because, you know, we're not just sucking up to the NFL. Don't mind your collective groans, but thought it was a really good event this year. Really, really enjoyed it. And I think, look, these things aren't easy, but I think, look, people were watered well. Lots of soft drinks being consumed all night. Just soft drinks. Lots of free foods. Yes. Papa John's turned up at like three in the morning with about 300 free pizzas. I don't think I've ever seen a large group of men desperately running over to just a small space for food in my entire life. It was like they'd been in the desert for 15 days and they finally saw a bit of water. Exactly. It had only been three pints since their last burger. That yeah. was all it was. But that was good. We had a couple of vegetarians with us and they got sorted out as well, so they were they were very, very happy. Very but happy. Coco's brilliant venue. But as normal, fantastic atmosphere, lots and lots of fans from all sorts of... Every team, every jersey, every era... We wanted to highlight one small thing. We didn't see any Jacksonville Jaguars jerseys there, unfortunately, and that's a it's a little bit sad. But lots of Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders wearing very yeah. small jerseys. Lots of cheerleaders. Fred Taylor, Jackson Deville, their mascot was yep. there, and uh, and I think they did a really good job. They were giving out T-shirts. They were giving out those hats that I've seen Snoop Dogg wear, where it's like an animal head on yep. wearing your head. And I think that you're going to see quite a lot of people. You know, maybe adopting them as their second team in the future. I think they did a good job of highlighting who they were. Yeah, no, I think I think they did, and I think that's important. And you know, to leave that experience with the message that the Jags are coming and they have cheerleaders and and here's some of their merch. I thought you're right, it was good. It is difficult because mm. in an, an occasion like that, you obviously need to represent the Ravens and the 49ers to do that well. But no, great atmosphere, lots of screens, lots of good vantage points to, to watch the game and we really enjoyed it. Lots of interactive entertainment. Jamie Cutridge, he was on last week's pod, took part in that. Yeah. Exposed a little bit too much of himself potentially <laughs> on stage but did one for UK NFL 
and the pod on there. So that was that was a lot of fun. Hosted by Nat Coombs, who was very good as normal. Dante Culpepper was there. Wearing what looked to be like one of those weird MMA vengeance t-shirts. Yeah, I think he's got the same kind of post-athlete retirement tailor as Michael Jordan. It just doesn't... <laughs> maybe it's a body shape, I'm not, yeah. I'm not really sure, but he was, he was just a little bit oddly. But no, but great guy, regardless. We have to also mention that they had staff dressed up as NFL coaches, which I thought was a really, really good touch. And if you go on our Twitter account, you can see a picture of one that they had dressed up as Rex Ryan. <laughs> Is that pre or post gastric band? <laughs> pre. Right. right, fair enough. Yeah, so shout to everybody that was at Super Bash. Shout to everybody else that was at all the other parties and events across the nation. The party at the number one sports bar. Saw some stuff on Twitter about that that looks great. Shout to um, Will and Adam and Danny and all the organisers down there. That looked great. Um, the mm-hmm. NFL in London party looked brilliant as well from what we can see in that. And all the, the London Blitz party and all the other occasions across the nation. So everybody, you're probably feeling about as hungover as we are today. Yeah. I've got the flu now, thanks to that. Super Bowl Monday flu. Which is very hungover. But it's fine. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. It all makes so much sense today because you saw a brilliant game it's been a brilliant season and ch- last night was a chance to hang out with some other brilliant fans all talking about how excited they are about the future yeah. we had several people come up wanting to hang out with us mm-hmm. talk about how they're looking forward to next season and you know that's uh, great to have those conversations for sure let's talk about the coverage yes of the Super Bowl because we've hyped it up a little bit and we should reflect as I say we've watched we're now watching the game for the third time yes third time people you had to listen to it on radio. We'll, we'll, we'll do that later. We want to check out Rocky Boyman. Totally. Interesting. I would say, look, we're not in the era anymore where we have terrestrial channels making us watch the game with punditry provided by the likes of Clive Allen, mm-hmm. John Barnes, yep. Steve Nichol. Mm. That actually seemed, that could be a decent front three, but probably not good for NFL. No, not not the best. The BBC had a couple of guys from other sports come in the booth. Mark Hunter, the rowing guy with a broken seat, he was there, mm. Niners fan. John O, the world's greatest rugby player, quoting Steve Mariucci, was there. He was in the booth as well. Yeah. So he was over on some kind of a corporate thing, I'm sure. He was doing that. So it was good to see them alongside the MC on the MIC, Mike Carlson and Willie McGuinness. Mm. Great performance by Mike. We're firing shots at the Colin Kaepernick, Peter Crouch analogy, though. Yeah. Mike, we agree with 99.9% of what you say. We're going with chappers on that one. <laughs> no. 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 Sky coverage, we saw that. That was good at the Super Bash. One media snafu. Cecil Martin announcing his email address. <laughs> uh, live, on, <laughs> live, on, live on the Sky coverage. That was a little bit odd. And he's doing a Cecil tour. Yes. In the next couple of weeks. Three he's coming dates. into your living room. Three dates in London. There you go. Yeah. Opportunity to see Cecil. So. Oh, no. The the other thing that we forgot to mention. Sky Sports announcing their, their little fake hard knocks thing that they're doing. True. They're do- you're right. They're doing a hard knocks. Every week from, I guess, leading up to the draft. And every week, Hard Knocks take the Vikings and the Jags. Yes. Week up to date. Can't wait for that. Should be good. That's going to be fun. I, like, I, I mean that with the sincerest of love when I say fake Hard Knocks because Hard Knocks is a show that we both really, really enjoy. And it'll be good to see some weekly programming on Sky continuing this rush of interest in the NFL from this week continuing on to the international games next season. I think you're just shocked because it's extremely rare that we take influence from an American TV show. Yes. As you know, normally it's the it's other way around these true. days. Unless Splash. From, yeah. Right, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Full of Splash. Vernon Kay was also in the Sky booth as well. So, no, we've come a long way, people. We really, really have. And it was great for everybody on terrestrial TV and, and HD being able to watch the game and stay up till the wee early hours. Nobody saw it on the blackout, okay? So, you know, don't, don't take that personally at all. There wasn't that really a lot That doesn't happen every year. If this it is the doesn't. first time you listen to the podcast. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Finishing off Super Bowl related stuff, the Hall of Famers were announced and they were wheeled out. At the start of the wheeled out, that would imply that they're really, really old. Uh, they're Some not really of them are, but not not that old. So shouts to those guys. Jonathan Ogden, 
Very apt that he should be announced the year that the Ravens at the Super Bowl. The Ravens' first ever draft pick, Jonathan Ogden, their monster, an immense offensive tackle. Larry Allen, another immense tackle and guard for the Dallas Cowboys. The big tuna, Bill Parcells. Mm-hmm. He got put through. Chris Carter, after six years of absence, got a vote, got voted into the club. Warren Sapp, a little bit of a controversial decision, that it seems. Taken over Charles Haley and Michael Strahan. Warren Sapp, but he's made it. Maybe, Maybe it's, a, it's his media career as well. Maybe that's helped build up enough links with the voters. Well, know. Peter King is one of those Hall of Fame voters, one of the 46 of them, and you know takes his stuff very seriously. But even still, those guys are in. And also a couple of guys from yesteryear, as is the rule now. Five guys that are now currently eligible versus a couple of guys. Throwbacks, let's call them. Dave Dave Robinson and Curly Culp, stars of yesteryear, were also brought in as well. So they, they gained one of, they gained the sport's most exclusive clubs. Get a bust in Canton. And the Hall of Fame game kicks off pre-season next August. And that's where they do their inductions and speeches and stuff. And um, well done to all of those guys. So, that's it. What do we do now? I don't know. Do we just watch the Beyonce halftime show until, until August? Let's do that. But no, pre-season starts in August. But before that, you're thinking to yourself, right... What happens now? You guys have got me so amped up, pumped up for this sport. It's all over now. What the... Well, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you don't need us to list the amount of sports that you can watch in the meantime. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely tons. I will say this, though. If you haven't seen... You haven't engrossed yourself in college basketball's March Madness before. You've not gone on that journey. That is amazing. That's a whole other podcast, but I'll throw that one out as a random. Because I only got into that a couple of years ago myself. That's a really good one mm. to go up, get into it a couple of months. And we've got the NBA playoffs, the NBA finals, and the Ashes, and all sorts of brilliant yeah. stuff. But what happens now in the NFL? Well, okay, it all shuts down. Now, people take a week off. Yeah. Free agency begins. So we'll start to see players being able to be eligible for free agency. Mm-hmm. And potentially moving teams around. Um, so you start to see that happening over Twitter and and uh, over the next couple of weeks. But the biggest event that people have, biggest event that the NFL comes out, the biggest event for the NFL coming up is the end of April, is the NFL draft. Yes. Which is where we started this year's North London 40, talking about the draft. We're not going to talk about draft picks and stuff, but we will be doing podcasts closer to the draft because if you support a team, mm-hmm. you're going to want to know who you're going to go for and what they were going to do. Yep. The draft is very exciting. That's in New York towards the end of April. You get your draft picks, and then we go through the season, and things start to build up from there. In terms of what's next for us, well... We're going to Disneyland. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to Disneyland. We're leaving North London for a bit and going to Disneyland. But no, we're going to be doing pods throughout the rest of this year, leading up to next season. Maybe regularly, maybe sporadically, not quite sure. Mm. Covering NFL stuff and maybe some other stuff too as well. You never know. So, there may be a little bit less regular. We're not going to do one next week, I don't think. We're going to take a week off, I think, and a long-deserved rest. I think we do need a bit of a rest. But we're going to be around and, you know, we want to say thanks to everybody that's listened to the pod this season, all the people that come up to us in person, on Twitter, on the internet, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's brilliant. And I find it very, very inspirational for next season, getting together and doing some stuff. So expect some sporadic pods. We'll be doing some stuff around free agency, some stuff around the draft, maybe get some different guests in. We'll probably do some stuff around the start of the Britball season, which starts in April as well. We'll maybe we'll come in and we'll talk about some stuff around that because, you know, there's lots of you playing the game and more of you that want to be playing the game. Mm -hmm. So that's good as well. So, yeah, so follow the channels, Twitter, iTunes, of course, Mixcloud, Tumblr, and, yeah, this is another season in the books. It's been great. We are North London 40, and we will see you next time. Take care.